Hi, this is Michael Ironside, and you're listening Without Your Head. Welcome to the station of decapitation without your head. I'm Nasty Neal. I'm Treacherous Trista. And we're joined by FX artist Jeff Scott. It's very cool to have you here. Happy to be here. So uh, season two of Snowpiercer is uh, is currently uh, on TNT. Uh, how did you get involved in, in it originally, going back to season one? Uh, all the way back to season one. Um, originally... Um, there was a whole other version of Snowpiercer that was done and um, that was was shelved. And um, my good friend Graham Manson took over as showrunner. Um, and he and I worked together on a show called Orphan Black um, for five years, which was with Tatiana Maslany. And... Um, he brought me on board after a couple months of, you know, trying to refine the, the design and the aesthetic and the, the look and the feel of the world. And it's been three and a half years of my life now, something like that. It's, it's, it can't, no, it can't be three and a half. Anyways, but it's, but that's, that's how. Yeah. So I came on board. Um, I did some, some preliminary, uh, I mean, I was just kind of excited that he, that, you know, about the project, I I actually gotten a copy of one of the first prints of the graphic novel when I was like seventeen and in, in Paris. Um, I I'd seen the the feature film when I was working in South Korea on its on its premiere. Um, so so there is I already had sort of a little connective tissue with, yeah. with the property. Um, 
but more as a fan than as, uh, as you know, somebody working on it. And then, um, yeah, and I, I started just shooting designs at him from from my office in Toronto, and uh, then I came out. You said there was another uh, another version of it originally that was was shelved. So was any of that brought over? Like any of like the the look or the design, or did you start all from scratch? Uh, the the VFX we started entirely from scratch. I mean, the interior we started from scratch too. It was it was a complete re- redesign, rethink, rework. Um, so yeah, it, originally um, the train that had been designed it, it had never fully been been realized or actualized. So there was no there was nothing to 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 really work off of. And um, Graham has has always sort of had an inkling towards like a steampunky design, and then I it was like, hey, let's talk about diesel punk. And he's like, what's diesel punk? I'm like, well, it's decades after steampunk, and and you know, started showing some designs. And, and there's this one train called the the Mercury that I was I just love the aesthetic of, and that that um, really influenced the design. So. Interesting. And since you already uh, you saw the movie and you were even read the you know the the gra- graphic novel, how much of that is influenced in the in the look of things? Um, well, the the feature um, not so much, um, but definitely the um, uh, the graphic novel. We really wanted to to sort of come back to this real sort of bull nose sort of front end that just looked you know brutalist, you know that could smash through anything. Um, so, so that was what, like, if you actually look at, at the Mercury train and you look at, at the graphic novel train and you look at our train, there's a lot of sort of, uh, aesthetic, um, connection. Yeah. I've not read the uh, graphic novel. I actually want to pick it up. Uh, I saw the, the movie in the theater when it, when it came out here at a local, uh, uh, art house theater. Hmm. Well, well, what's really cool about the graphic novel is it's it's um, it's three individual stories or like times on the train, mm-hmm. and and they're they're all by the same writer artist, but they're done decades apart. So, like the first one was in the seventies, the second one was in the eighties. Oh, interesting. The third part was in the nineties, and so his art style completely changes throughout. It's it's really interesting. Yeah, uh, this is more the people who write the show, but. Is the show itself from all those different series or is it from like the first series or is it completely different from the, the source material? Um, we, we are initially, we, we sort of touched on um, more of the graphic novel um, initially, uh, you know, characters names and sort of reasons for, for, you know, doing a few bits and bobs. Um, there's a few characters names in season two um, that are, lifted from the graphic novel and sort of their sort of quirky aesthetic, uh, the headwoods, um, for example, you know, um, but it is, it is, uh, it's definitely a story in its own universe. The season two is a lot different, uh, in a lot of ways. And, uh, so you had to design a whole new train, and then a lot of outside stuff. So when you have like a, another train, I guess you want to keep them in the same world, but it also has to look different. So like, uh, what was that like to, you know, to create like the look of a whole new uh, train setting? Well, <laughs> yeah, again, I mean, that's, that's the thing. They, they, they need to share the same, you know, DNA mm-hmm. really. Um, so um, we hired, so um I hired uh, uh, 
concept artist named Alex Nice, or we, the, me and, and my producer, my director's producer. Uh, and he designed the first one. Uh, so he designed, you know, the uh, Snowpiercer engine and, and all its supplemental cars. And then what we ended up doing was we basically, you know, once we knew, we, we had always had an inkling there was going to be a secondary car. And so we said, okay, so here's the thing. It needs to be a brick. That was literally what we were told. Big Alice needs to just be a big square powerhouse box. But you still have to connect it to, you know, thematically somehow back to Snowpiercer. Uh, and what we were able to do is, is because Big Alice is, is at the end. She's a shunt car. She can go like you know, either way on track. She's really just a, a pusher. She's just a mean pushing, you know. Um, and so we had the opportunity. Um, we designed Snowpiercer so that it, it, um, it could be latched onto the back. And um, that had always been part of the design. There's like, you know, a couple little sort of slots for things to fit in, but nobody was to ever notice it. So like the door at the back was always there. Nobody mm-hmm. just noticed it because we sort of hidden it and shot around it. Um, so we knew that was how one of the ways we were going to aesthetically connect the two. So, so when you see that, that, that nose pushing through the snow, it has, it's reminiscent of the shape of Snowpiercer. And so that, that helped a lot. And then the rest of that, we, you know, we used, um, you know, the bobbit worm and, and the, the, is it the sarcastic fringe head fish, which is a real name of a fish that's mouths opened up and, and whatnot. And they clamped on the back of it. But um, yeah, that was, that was sort of it. We, we brought Alex in and he designed it. I mean, to be honest, I I'd hired a, a small team to design Snowpiercer initially and they just threw around rough ideas. Um, and so I fed those to, to Alex and on Snowpiercer, he, I mean, his first design was what Snowpiercer ended up getting. Like it was, it was just, he knocked it out of the park. And then we said, okay, you have all the information you need. And um, his first design of Big Alice was, was almost perfect. We just had to make the window bigger. And that was it. Like it was like, he really just, the guy's top notch. Mm-hmm. So. There's a lot more outside in this one too. The, out, the outer world, the, the, oh, God, yeah. the cold world. and and that looks yeah, really good. yeah. We, we're doing a lot more uh, outside um, uh, in season two for sure. And we're we're actually building up more of the world. Season one, we used we used train shots predominantly just to um, more as establishers, and you know they they'd be a, a, a supplemental story beat, like you know when it gets hit by an avalanche. And, and yeah, but um, in, in season two, with you know we we literally start. There's a whole you know, 20 minutes outside the train at the beginning. Melanie's out there. And then, you know, we, episode three, you know, she gets off again. And what do you guys get to episode six? Yeah, I've seen up, was, we've seen up to eight, so. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you've seen up to eight? Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, there's a yeah, lot more. We don't give too much away, but yeah. No, no, there's more. Yeah. More. Uh, what are just some of the things you uh, do to, to make everything look cold, I guess, like, uh, besides just have snow. Well, uh, to be honest, it's, it's one of those things. So like, like, like I'm from Ontario, which gets very cold in the winter. And so, so there's this tendency of one of people like who don't experience cold that often to be like, Oh no, it's gotta be overcast and dull and great. It's like, it's like, no, no, no. Actually the colder the, it is, the brighter it is often like, you know, because, um, you know, clouds don't like to form 
when it gets too cold, you know? So, I mean, we can't not have clouds in our world. It would look alien and bizarre. I mean, I did start going down the, you know, what, what actually would happen to, you know, hydrogen and oxygen molecules in the air if it did get down to minus 720, but it would look, it would look like an alien landscape. It would all be black and, and nightless and, and even in the day. So uh, we didn't do that, but um, uh, no, a lot of times, I mean, we just, we really just try and um, do what do with um, a lot of what I call the sort of environmental uh, balancing, which is where we just kind of add drifting, blowing, floating kind of snow, mm-hmm. because that always makes it feel like it's whipping around and hitting you in the face and, and, and those kinds of things. Um, we do a bit of breath work in the train when the temperature drops in there. Um, but we try and keep that, um, we try and keep that pretty, you know, use that rather uh, sparingly because it can end up looking like two dragons having a conversation back and forth. You know, so. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in Massachusetts. It's cold here, but it's uh, it's not as cold as Canada, I guess. No, 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 no. Boston, Boston is in, in Mass. It's cold in the winter, man. I've been there in February. It's yeah. You guys get it too. So yeah. Yeah. Trista's in LA, so she's nice and warm at the moment. Yeah. Well, you can tell by the glow. Yeah, you know, just you know, oh, you. a general smile on her face. You know. I'm very content. Yes. Yeah, very content. yeah, I know. I had I had somebody complain to me once living in Santa Monica that they had rain, and I was like, "Shut your mouth." <laughs> Santa Monica's even too cold for me. Oh my god! <laughs> I literally so so we're we're actually filming in BC, and and before this, I ran out to grab a quick bite, and it started hailing. In the parking lot, it never snows here, and I'm like getting pelted in the face with ice. Oh. Like, ah, gosh. It, get, it gets you in the, in the mood to. Yeah, to I, I, you know what? It's funny because because we're still wrapping it. Like so, so I'm here back in the studio, and we're prepping season three, mm-hmm. and I'm still wrapping season two. Like I still have nine episodes, nine and ten to finish delivering. Um, you know in the next week or so. So it's, it's like, in fact, actually my last episode, my, my 209, my last shot is due tonight to oh, be wow. cut in tomorrow to be graded tomorrow. Thank you for taking the time to chat with us. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, no, no. I'm happy to. happy to. So it's, you know, but we go to camera on Tuesday. So this is sort of any, my last opportunity to, I don't know if people realize that sometimes although the show is actually being like finished while the, the, that season is still like airing. Oh, God, uh, I yeah. think a lot of people probably think it's all you know completely done when, when first episode comes on. No, no, no. We we are we are very okay. How do I say this without sending? Um, COVID did me a favor because it pushed coming back. Uh, it was really um, normally our seasons have have overlapped quite significantly. Um, and and while so for when we started prepping uh, season two, which um, started in the, the September of that year, um, I was only two thirds done the seasons uh, one visual effects. Now we knew our January air date uh, was coming up; that was fine. But because there's been so much more. Um, in the in the uh, in the ways of visual effects or demands on visual effects, and this season having pushed our start date to to now March, 
Um, that bought me a lot of time to focus on just developing visual effects as opposed to trying to prep season three, which is even more insane. So, you know. so, so having that time to focus and, and quarantine and everybody locking down has, has been a blessing in disguise. Yeah. Not my sanity, but, but <laughs> that part, you know, in the one end. You know. Yeah. I guess maybe an obvious question, but what are some of the differences? Because you worked on a lot of features, you know, not just a series, but working on, you know, a feature film, it's, you know, 90 minutes, and then a series where it's, you know, multiple seasons going into season three. Uh, what are the differences on working on the two? Um, I, honestly, I, 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 from, from a personal standpoint or a professional standpoint, I don't, um, I always try to bring whatever I can, you know, like it's, I, I don't believe in, Oh, well, you know, this is a series that so we can, you know, we can be down here. I always try and sort of up, up, up the game. Um, you know, I always have the, the confines of, of the budget to work on, uh, work with. But um, I, the big thing is, is sort of workflow and methodology, right? You know, so um, we like to lock up episodes uh, sooner. Um, so, you know, in order. Um, and yet there will be times when you, you've got this massive um, visual effect uh, in, you know, at the first episode, which, you know, like, hey, if I just sort of can chip away at it across the, the, the entirety of post, then then it'll look even much better by the end. You know, sort of make sure you get all the low hanging fruit out of the way first, if you will, like, you know, a blue screen set extension behind trains and corridors. Um, so that's that's probably the biggest thing. Like, you know, in the in world of feature, all your big shots you end up refining and refining and refining throughout the entirety of, of the show. Um, whereas, whereas in, in series work, you have to go, okay, well, no, that's it. It's done. It needs to go to color, you know, audio needs it, you know, they need to do all the effects and, and whatnot. So you have to, you have to let things go sooner in, in sort of larger blocks. That's the big, the big difference. You mentioned you know you saw the the original movie and the and you even read the you know the comic, uh, so, and you've worked on a lot of you know genre films. Are you a fan of science fiction and horror? God, yeah, no, yeah. You don't get into visual effects, I don't think, without at least some inkling at some point. No, 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 no. I'm a huge nerd, huge nerd. I love it. It's um, yeah, no, no. I, I I I when I was four, I I saw Star Wars and and I. I that was it. I was, you know, 1977, four-year-old, and all I wanted to do was make monsters and aliens and robots and spaceships, and, and now I do. So that's, that's yeah. Interesting. Have a question. Want. Sorry. Do you have that. any advice for someone who might aspire to a similar career path? Um, yeah, it's. I mean, the biggest the biggest um, thing I'd say is is, um, you know. Learn art fundamentals. Learn photography. You'd be amazed how many people in this, you know, um, in the job don't come into it with that. They 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 teach themselves you know, or, or get taught how to use a particular piece of software. Uh, they have an inclination, but not the sort of um, the the foundation in which to support that. You know, uh, a lot of companies, um, not a lot of companies, but there are, there are a few companies. If you, um, the they are more so inclined to hire artists and teach them how to use the software um, because the software is something you can pick up in a few months, really. Uh, you need to understand all the, the, 
the, the, again, the principles of, of how to frame, how light works, how color works, you know, all those things. Those take a lot longer to teach somebody um, than, than not. So I'd, I'd say, yeah, like, honestly, take art courses, take, take uh, photography courses, all those things, and then look at learning the softwares. You know, I mean, that makes sense because th- that stuff is just another tool. And if you don't know how how light, you know, affects the shadows and everything, or even how you would light something, how could you do it, uh, you know, I don't want to say fake, but, you know, uh, virtually. Digitally, yeah, yeah, or virtually, yeah. Digitally, yeah. Well, well, that's just it. Like, like it's it's funny because, um, you know, you end up, like a, like a lot of, uh, they, there's a sort of a, a, a lot of, you know, oh, I'm glad they did that practically, um, you know, in, in um, the sort of the film fan community. And, and, and I always laugh at that because, you know, 90% of the time that they've done it practically, they've completely removed that practical element and replaced it with the digital. I've done it, you know, dozens of times, you know, and I mean, I, I worked on a, um, well, horror film, uh, The Witch, and people are like, oh, there was, oh, what, you just did the floating bit at the end. And it's like, no, we did like 143 shots of that movie. You just can't tell because that's, we, we, we did them well enough. Um, so, so, but you still need all the craftsmanship of, or, of, of, of a model maker, of a painter, of a, you know, all these, these very specific skill sets that, that, you know, it's taken the visual effects industry some time for people to, to get into it. You know, when I first started, we, we, if you wanted to make something look rusty, you'd put on a rust texture and you'd be like, ah, good enough. It's done. You know, it's, it's what we have. And now we have, we have, um, you know, there's, there's a, there's a package called substance painter where you literally will define the material properties of something, but then you get to throw virtual oil and mud at it and it all slides down and, and it's all, real i mean i I spent hours just throwing mud at stuff and you know just for fun it's you know but but knowing how how the physics of of where dirt sticks on something where the light would actually fade it that just comes with with all the previous all the other skill set i learned before getting into visual effects you know you said you you know what you've watched star wars when you're four and like you knew like you know you love this stuff so when did you pursue it as a career and like how did you pursue it as a career? I, I don't know if it was as easy, you know, at that time. No, it was terribly not easy. It was, it was awful. It was, um, so in high school, I, 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 you know, uh, done some courses in, in makeup effects. Um, and I don't I mean that it's easy now. It just, I think there's more ways oh, to no, know no, how no. to pursue it. You know what I mean? There are, there are many more footholds to be had. There are many more avenues of education now. Um, when I was first looking, it was it was nearly impossible. You could, there was only a couple schools in the world that would, would teach computer animation, and um, I tried I tried my hand at classical animation. Did not have the patience for that, you know. Um, I, I you know know how to do it, but it was it's brutal. You spend hours drawing something, and you know, in twenty four frames a second, and you get a couple of seconds into it, and the client goes, "No, I want it to be right to left, not left to right." And you basically take all the paper and you throw it out the window and you start again. I was like, "There's got to be an easier way to do this." Um, and then, I mean, when when I got into it, there was just this 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 little hiccup of a boom 
and I thought, okay, this is going to be great. And then I was, I was in it for like a week and it all bottomed out, you know, all these digital houses shut their doors and, and whatnot. So it was, it was a real struggle, but I, 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 I knew this is what I wanted to do and this is kind of how I did it. And you just sort of persevered. So I, I went to work for, you know, a ride film company for a while because they were looking for people and you just slowly chip away and, and work at it. You know, uh, there were very few companies um, globally then, you know, there were probably only a few hundred people. Yeah. I would say there were probably, when I first started, there was probably less than a thousand people maybe doing it, you know, visual effects truly. I mean, now you've got, you've got companies that are literally thousands of people. You know, you look at the end credits of, of your larger feature films and, and I mean, the numbers are a small city, you know, with people that work on it. So. Uh, Tristan, you have another question? You've made some scary things. I'm wondering if you have any fears or phobias yourself that you're comfortable sharing? Uh, yeah, I'm absolutely comfortable. Um, uh, okay, so I was, I, I was filming one movie. I won't say what it is because I don't want to get anybody in trouble. But And I almost fell off a building because I was getting a, a plate shot and I wasn't secured and a gust of wind kind of caught me. And, and I'm like, oh, I'll just lean over. And I, I caught my foot on, caught a toehold on the, um, the track for the, uh, the washing machine, like, you know, the, or the, the, the washing basket. And I slowly pulled myself back as I felt my shoe slowly slipping off my heel no no it was really scary it was really like my my producer she turned her back to to talk to the locations guy and she's just as i was kind of like she's like what happened i'm like no that's fine so then i i didn't realize but as a result of that i developed an irrational fear of heights uh which also didn't help when i when i flew um that being said i i had to shoot a bunch of plate photography for snowpiercer season one and, and it looks all beautiful and smooth because we shot it at, um, you know, um, 120 frames a second with this, you know, incredibly, you know, military-grade stabilized head. Um, but it was, it was the scariest flight experience I'd ever had. And I was in this thing for eight hours. And it's like, like at one point, the pilot's like, okay, we're in free fall now, but we're okay because this hasn't happened. And like at one point, we're, we're like, he's like, okay, so the blades, you know, the rotors are, are now like a foot and a half between mountain peaks and stuff like that but after that i'm no longer afraid of heights so i had this like three-year window of being deathly afraid of, of heights and being out of control to being yeah i'm okay with it so <laughs> well that's good i'm glad you're not afraid of heights anymore oh, but i was like right. like but it was really irrational well it was rational because they did all this but I, I couldn't control it so yeah. Along those lines, uh, Tristan said you made a lot of scary things. You've also made a lot of cool things. If you could pick just like a couple things to showcase like what you've done, you know, what, what would you pick? Um, okay. Um, I, I really, so um, in Snow White and the Huntsman, um, the, the army at the beginning of, um, uh, of the film, when we're sort of uh, in, in the past, in, in the, the prelude, I guess. Um, the black knights that shatter into to sort of this crystalline uh, obsidian onyx. Um, I really, really liked how those turned out. Um, I, was, I was really, really happy with that. 
um, uh, not something so much I created, um, but I, I'm very proud of my body of work on um, on Orphan Black. Um, again, what, what made me really happy was nobody noticed all the stuff we did in it, you know, and, and all the praise. Went Interesting. To that. That's yeah. probably the best compliment in a way, but also then you're... Uh... Well, exactly. It's like everybody just thinks, oh, it's super easy, right? You know? Yeah. Or like, oh, she's so amazing. But well, she is. She is fantastic. I, 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 miss, I miss working with her, actually. She's, she's one of the best actors I've ever worked with, um, ever. Um, and, but, like, he, you know, we, we did some crazy stuff in, in that show that nobody noticed. Like, you know, she's... Always like, and it's always little things, like never like a, hey, look at this thing that I'm doing with my hands kind of thing. It would always be like somebody in the background, like a version of her in the background pouring herself a glass of wine, you know, but it was all story motivated and just little things that nobody realized how much connective tissue uh, there was. So that was always, um, that, that was, that was a great experience there. So, and, and, and not to be like, you know, because I'm working on it now, and I mean, honestly, I haven't gotten off the train in three years. But I'm, I'm very proud of the design of Snowpiercer. So it's it's one of those things I, I really, I really love the look of it, and, and you know, it's something that, that you know. Something that when I was watching Snowpiercer, I was thinking about because you have to you have to keep it narrow so it's in a train. Is that ever hard to to deal with? Like you know, because you you have really cool sets, but they can't be too big because they have to fit in the, in the train. Yes. A scale. It's a scale is the biggest thing. You know, I mean, our art director, uh, Steve Keegan, he's, he's got, you know, the pressure of always trying to build a, a long set and, and, and conceive it that way. Um, my biggest, um, balancing active with respect to that is, is really just, um, the, um, balancing the exterior scale and the interior scale. And, you know, getting people to like, like our, our train is so long that, I mean, you need to be, I can't, I figured I calculated it season one. I think you need to be like 250 feet in the air to be able to see the end of it because the curvature of the earth starts affecting it based on the length of train, right? Like every 2.3 kilometers, you have to deal with a three degree curve. Um, so, so getting people's head around how big the train is is sort of like, you know, a, a, a big thing. Um, and then it's always a balancing act of like people want to see forever on the train when you're in the train, but we actually, it's still designed like a train. So there's not a lot of through cars. So always trying to find moments where we can lengthen the inside. Um, we did it quite a bit in, in season one, uh, like with the cattle car sequence. Mm-hmm. Um you know, we extended rooms off of it with cows because otherwise it was it was actually quite a short, um, short uh, space. Yeah. I trust you have another question. When you're watching um, films, are you just dissecting the movie magic the whole time? On second view, it took me a long time to stop doing that and just enjoy it. Um, like the first first ten years, I seven years, I did this. All I did was look at the. Um, so I had to train myself to appreciate other people's work, and then the second time I go through and you know, I'm like, wait, what about that? You know, and and again, it's it's the the best magic trick is is when you don't know it's a magic trick. 
you know, I, I love arguing with, with people about um, what, what they, when, when they tell me what I didn't do and what I did. So it's always fun. Yeah. I just want to ask a couple of questions. When I mentioned on uh, Facebook, you were coming on some, uh, a lot of questions. You also asked a couple. Uh, Nicholas Hatch wants to know, uh, he says he's a huge fan of Dead Silence. And did you have any stories working with James Wan? Oh, no. No, I mean, to be honest, when, when I first, well, okay, no, yes, a little time. I, uh, so I, I built, on that, I built, um, or as one of the people that, that built uh, the CG Tongue, uh, the Tongue of Tongues. Um, when I first met him, I thought he was just another VFX artist, who a new VFX artist that had showed up for the day, because I was just, I was an artist on the box at that point. And and so I was like, oh, hey, you know here? He's like, no, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm James. I'm like, <laughs> so James, you're new here? What's going on? You know, he's like, no, I'm the director. I'm like, oh, cool, 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 cool. <laughs> you know, and I was, he, he was, he seemed nice. Again, I, 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 I wasn't the primary supervisor. Right. Just, it was before he was, you know, really took off. Was, yeah. Uh, and uh, Dean wants to know uh, what was the most challenging aspect of working on the void. Um, budget. What was budget. that budget? They had no oh, budget. Yeah. No, no, no. I, I, um, I'm friends I, with Jeremy and Stephen who made it. Yeah. No. 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 I. They. Uh, it's funny. I actually just watched uh, Psycho Gorman. Um, yeah. Yeah. Two nights ago. Talking about that. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, no, no, the void was, was good. Uh, just initially it was just, um, I, I did it through another, uh, I did it when I was, I was working, um, vendor side. Uh, initially I worked for a company where I just ended up becoming the show's VFX supervisor a lot of times. And, um, you know, I was told my, my budget was this much and I had to keep it within that window. And once I, once I realized we'd like, I couldn't even come close to accommodating uh, or accomplishing their vision. I just kind of said, fuck it. I'm going to spend as much money as I want to and, and do it properly and, and, or as properly as we can within the time. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, it was a big concept for a, a smaller budget film. Oh yeah. 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 And I mean, we, we really focused my, the, the extent of my work really focused on, on the, the last sequence where, you know, the ceremony's happening and, go into this this other world. Uh, Tristan, another question? As you're describing your work, I'm uh, reminded of the artistry of video games. So I'm wondering if you are a gamer yourself. Oh, yeah. I worked in games for three and a half years. Um, I, I, I actually... Um, so I worked... Uh, I, I, quit this, I quit this business once, vowing never to return... <laughs> And I shook my fist to the skies and said, never again. And um, uh, I went to uh, work uh, for a company called Ninja Theory in the UK. And uh, there I worked on a game called Heaven and Sword, which was uh, PlayStation 3. Uh, and then another one, um, which was called... I forgot what it was called. But it was it was an absolute fantastic experience, but I, but I love video games. Uh, I've, I've always played. In fact, actually... I came out of that experience, um, you know, and, and would talk to anybody who would listen to me about, you know, we need to stop doing, you know, thinking of um, our backgrounds as map paintings. And we need to start building them out as environments, you know, and, and you know, like we do in, in video games. 
and you know we should look at you know at that time i think it was unreal 3 you know unreal 4 was just around the corner i'm like we can literally you know build these as real-time environments and move the camera anywhere and line it up and, um which is which is a lot of what they're doing now with, with the Mandalorian and whatnot, which is using Unreal Game Engine to uh, to drive that. Are there any video games you'd like to see become a movie that haven't? None. <laughs> they usually Honestly. don't turn out well. I'll be honest. Now, well, okay, so it's sort of like um, movie, movie. It's no. See, the the, the problem with the, with a video game is, is it's a very. I mean, it's a very specific narrative that the game designers are creating, but it's a narrative that you help define. And, and with a feature film or a TV series, um, you are forcing a person down a very specific narrative. It's sort of like the reason why a lot of times books don't work as well is because your imagination has an unlimited budget and it can look as amazing or as scary or, or whatever. That's it is why the end of the original, it never worked for a lot of people. Exactly. What you exactly. What is never I mean, and, yeah, I was, I was in middle school when that came out, and I was like, what? This is awful. And I, I literally forced myself to read a thousand-page book in grade seven, you know, which is an impossible task then, you know. Um, but yeah, so so I think I think video games are, you know, it's it's sort of like like saying what movie, I, I almost feel like it's, like if I always thought of video games as, as sort of almost actually like step in, in entertainment. Um, and, if, uh, you know, like, like I think video games are to film and television, like film and television was to the theatrical experience, you know, and, and, you know, radio, you know, so. Remember a couple of years ago on Netflix, they had a movie where it was almost like a pick a path where it can, it didn't quite work, but, you know, maybe something like that, you know, you could evolve that. Yeah. But, but again, I, I just, I mean, I, I also had the, uh, I watched another video game adaption uh, last night um, uh, called Monster Hunter, and it, it didn't work. Again, and I was a huge fan of the game. I loved playing endlessly and hunting monsters and chopping them up and turning them into pelts and stuff like that. And watching somebody else's film of it, it's 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 sort of I, I you know what you know what sorry not to go on this beat this to death, like, but. I feel like when you watch a feature film that's been been, been adapted from a video game, you, it's like watching your older brother play video games. Uh-huh. You're watching, you know, you're not there. You're just sort of cheering along. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. Which, though, it, it's weird because that's become a thing, like, on the Internet. There are a lot of people who watch other people game, which I never can quite understand. But I, it, it, I think it's actually even gone one step more. I think there are people watching people on like making videos of people watching videos of people playing videos. <laughs> I think it's actually my, my son, I have a 13 year old and he's wonderful. And, and, and I, I was like, are you literally watching a game about people watching video of people? Playing <laughs> videos? Like, yeah. Like, like I was the fool. I'm like, <laughs> hey, buddy. Yeah. hey buddy, oh, that's fine. I'm just going to go and my head in shame. Okay. I'm probably going to watch this too. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm really looking forward, not just because you're here, but the, the next two episodes of, uh, well, there's more episodes from, for most people. But I'm looking forward to seeing the rest of us, No Piercer Season 2, to see what happens. Yeah, what is it? I'm two. also thinking of going and, not that you're connected, but going and buying the um, the graphic novels because uh, the show really hooked me. Good, good. Yeah, no, no. I, uh, I enjoy them, I think. Uh, I think you can do them. And uh, do you have a... Uh, 
any place people can follow you, not like your home, but uh, online or? Uh, no, you know what? To be honest, I don't. I barely tweet. I barely do. Yeah, I noticed any. that when I was trying to find some uh, some pictures. Yeah, no, I honestly, I, I work on the show. I work on the train. I haven't been allowed off the train for three years. And, you know, I'm happy to be on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it. It takes up most of my most of the thing. I, I, I have I have nothing to plug. Sorry. That's fine. Snowpiercer. It's good. And are you working on anything currently besides? Well, Snowpiercer seems to be taking up a lot of your time. No, no, Snowpiercer. It's it's funny. I was um, there was there was one year. Sorry, props. One of me. Oh, okay. Yeah, I know we're a little longer than we said. No, no, it's okay. Um, I'll see what Jim wants after. Um, no, no, there, there's one point in my life when, when you know, I, I, God, one year I, I worked on eight projects, got an Emmy nomination. I, I, I was for a while doing independent video game stuff. I released three apps, was nominated for Canadian Video Game of the Year. Like, it was all within, like, you know, I was like, yeah, I'm just constantly churning out stuff and, there is so much involved with Snowpiercer, and happily so. It just it it takes all my time. Like I, you know, my, my family is back in Toronto. I've moved out here. I I live out here for the duration of, of shooting, and I, I focus on the train. So yeah. So no, nothing, nothing else. So, Very good. Well, this has been great. Really enjoyed talking with you. Well, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye, Stay warm. Don't yeah, don't go I, don't go up on high things. No, no. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thanks, Amanda. Thank you, Amanda. <laughs> Thank you so much. Have a great day. You as well. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. From ancient terrors to the search for modern day conspiracies, the tomb of Nick Cage is the new sound in horror rock. Uncover the mystery of old world horror for the new world order on iTunes, Amazon, and more. The tomb of Nick Cage. Find out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The Tomb of Nick Cage. The Tomb of Nick Cage.